0: All right, hello, dear listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host Chris Cogswell here with my co-host Marie Mayhew.
1: What is up, my people? How's everybody? And we're doing great, Marie. I keep I, I always ask that question, sort <laughs> I know. of hoping someday there's going to be a chorus of like, yeah, and well, it's you, like, no, man. You ever this hear this podcast? That's not going to happen. <laughs>
0: it's not not a live medium. <laughs> <laughs> you, ever, you ever read those stories though about the people who they like they they hear like scuttling in their walls and they think they like you know they're missing food and whatever and then they find out that a like a, a homeless person's been living in their attic.
1: Oh hey thanks thanks for helping me get to sleep tonight dude as if that wasn't hard enough already oh I'm yes, just it could I mean, be, somebody might answer me back they're all like yeah <laughs>
0: shut up I'm trying to sleep <laughs> you're you know, like what? oh my
1: god I'll just keep leaving food out for them. It's them and the raccoons, man. You know, it's all good.
0: Tin Can Malone. <laughs> it's trying to trying to get your beans. I have this thing. I have this thing. This we'll we'll just do this quick. We'll do this story quick, and then we'll get into the episode. We'll get into the bulk of it here. I have a thing. I call it uh, so. I call it hobo soup. Oh, and what it is because I because I think of it like uh. Oh dear
1: listener, we're in for a treat.
0: I think okay. So I for some reason when I was a kid mm-hmm. I. Uh, Did you see that movie, Dennis the Menace, the Dennis the Menace movie?
1: Uh, I think I may have. You you might have been. I may have.
0: I was going to say, okay, okay. So like uh, it came out. It probably came out when I was like, I don't know, like seven, six, around that age, whatever. And so when it came out, there's a scene where he like is eating. He like goes on the road or something and like I can't remember exactly what it is, but he He runs away
1: from home. He runs away from home and and then
0: he ends up in like he ends up in a very sketchy situation with a bunch of hobos who are eating beans around a campfire. And so since that time, I have always thought I've always associated beans like baked beans with, uh, kind of that like 1920s version of like, you know, bindle stick and bindle, uh, yeah. traveling the yeah, land, yeah, right? Whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it's so, just, uh, dust dust Bowl, era. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, so nice. I,
0: so I make this gross dinner that Katie hates and I call it hobo soup. And it's basically, it's baked beans with hot dogs in it.
1: Dude, that but, is so wrong. That is the most fucked up meal I've ever heard. Okay,
0: okay, okay. But if I'm feeling fancy, Marie, what I do, I'll oh, get some god. I'll get some kielbasa, uh, I'll fry it up. I'll fry it up with a little bit of hot sauce, and then I'll put that yeah. in lentil soup. I call that hobo. <laughs>
1: that is my hobo. Hobo. Uh oh my god, that's terrible. It's a delicious,
0: it's it's so good.
1: For a minute, I thought if you were saying if I'm feeling fancy, I might just put it, some spaghetti in there as well. And I was just going to like oh, spaghetti and beans. Great idea. So really quick as insofar as like discussing gross meals. Um, my family on my dad's side have this like special treat that they'll whip up for themselves. And it is uh, spaghetti tacos.
0: Oh, my God. I love, Okay. All right. All right. All right. We, oh, I, I make spaghetti sandwiches. <sighs> it's probably why I'm like 800 pounds. But there, it's literally like you make spaghetti, like normal spaghetti. And then you put, mm-hmm. you take Italian mm-hmm. bread, semolina bread, mm-hmm. delicious. You put it with, you put spaghetti to eat it like a sandwich. Okay. It's the best.
1: Okay, well, okay, so I'll, I'll give you that. So you're actually using a bread that you would normally like. It's garlic bread or something yeah, like it's that, Yeah, right? it's
0: weird with tacos. So
1: So, but here's the thing. Tacos, like taco shells. I God love them, man. I hear that, and I'm just like, what? I don't think so. But that's yeah. That is that is a taco. Uh, have to spaghetti try it. Tacos, spaghetti tacos for the people.
0: All right, good stuff. New, uh, new, new official meal of the Mad Scientist Podcast: spaghetti tacos. Oh God,
1: yeah. All right, yeah, dear listener. If you have any favorite disgusting meals that you (laughs) whip out when you're home alone and your significant other or whoever is working late let us know let us know please all right let's get into this. we don't judge uh you you judge me a little bit (laughs) it's fine all right i'm just pouring another glass of wine hold on we're fine there it is Welcome to the Mad Scientist Podcast. This week's
0: episode: haunted paintings. I heard the cork actually opened that time. That was good. Yeah, you
1: like that? Was that good? Here, we can do it again, just for for the people at home to have with your spaghetti tacos. Delicious. A nice Chianti.
0: A nice Chianti. Uh, amazing. All right. This episode, we are talking about haunted paintings. Redux,
1: <laughs> Redux, Redux. The director's cut. Since we actually have already discussed haunted paintings once, but that's not going to stop us from talking about it again. Not because we're out of things to talk about, because that does not happen. But uh, we both have uh, some weird haunted haunted painting stories. So, Chris, do you want to go first, or should I?
0: Yeah. So actually, I can. So I can kind of go first here. Um, so. Um, the thing that brought this topic to our mind specifically
1: mm-hmm.
0: was we. OK, so. We have talked a little bit on the show about my own kind of semi paranormal experiences. Mm-hmm. And one of them occurred in my uncle, my uncle Martin's house in Brooklyn. And so this house, I, unbeknownst to me, when I said this story. I was then told by another relative that they had a similar experience to mine, where they saw a basically like a shadow figure of some sort, kind of a being, uh staring at them at nighttime once. <sighs> and uh this my relative was freaked out, you know what I mean? And and whatever. So, anyways, um, and I hope I hope it's okay that I share that on the radio. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's okay, but Mm. Um, mm-hmm. if not, I owe you a pizza, but anyways, <laughs> it's because it's happening, but um,
1: so <laughs> the, sh- the shadow dude with dark eyes is like, all right, I'll take that. <laughs> Whatever.
0: So uh, recently, recently it has come to our, my attention, at least that, that actually that, that house has some uh, sad history attached to it, especially upstairs. Mm-hmm. And so someone, uh, someone, uh, someone, uh committed suicide in that apartment. Ugh. And so uh the fact that it's potentially haunted of in some kind of way or whatever is not necessarily that strange. Um I mean it's strange, right? I don't know if I don't I don't know if I believe any of it, but it's not, you know, it's kind of like where you'd expect this kind of thing to happen. Huh. Right? Now, the freaky thing, that mm-hmm. that room has that room has a very a very kind of iconic painting in my childhood, right? Mm -hmm. It's this kind of, it reminds me, my uncle has a house in the Poconos and it reminds me, it has always reminded me of the lakes in the Poconos during the winter time. And it's kind of painted in this sort of, uh, kind of, you know, shellacked on way. Like the oil paint is very, very heavy and it's, you know, it's, it's scraped on. It's not really brushed, right? So it's got texture to it and everything as well. And the painting and my mom actually has a similar style kind of um, in our in our basement, in our basement, another room that has always freaked me out as a kid. But anyways, so this painting, um, it's kind of got an, it's like an orange sunset over a uh, what appears to be like a river or some kind of lake or something. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, this, this- a
1: tributary, a uh Egress, right? The sure, water sure, is, sure. Yeah,
0: And it's this deep, this deep orange color with hints of blue and then white because of snow on these dead trees. And it's very, uh, you know, it's very vibrant, this painting, right? Mm-hmm. So I, so I have told this story, but I never mentioned that painting before.
1: No, you actually okay. haven't. This is true. And
0: Marie is out antique shopping one day. As you do when you're a
1: white lady who lives in the suburbs.
0: And... <laughs> She texts me and goes, dude, I just bought a really creepy painting.
1: Yeah. And it yeah. is the painting. It's the painting. Now, but I mean, like, are you, God, I wish, I do wish that like, you know, one of your family members could maybe throw a painting, you know, a picture of that painting over the fence and see. It could be because I will say, I think from that time frame, that type of painting, probably that, that. Just like you said, that that style was very prevalent. However, what I bought is definitely it is an oil painting. It's not a reproduction. It's an actual oil painting. No, my mom, my mom sent me a picture of the painting. Send me the picture. Oh, geez, you know what? What are we doing here, people? Like, sh- what? I want to see a picture of the painting. Wait, I'm going
0: through now. That's a picture of my pumpkin soup.
1: Oh God. Or that su- That's a picture soup. of the pumpkin soup. Here's hobo soup right after it. Wait. I like to think hobo soup, hobo and pumpkin soup together. Oh, it's on my other phone. Seasonal. It's
0: the phone. No, it's on the phone that I, hold on. Resend oh, me God. the picture of the painting. All right. Anyways. Anyways. It is, so it is the painting. It is the, it is, it's very, okay. It's similar enough. It's so similar. I'm not, now I'm not going to say it is the painting. Cause I don't have the picture with me on my phone. Cause I traded it in for a new Google pixel two. Google mm. hit us up with that sweet ad money sweet but, <laughs> google money um but yeah so okay so i don't know if it's the exact painting but it is so strikingly similar that it yes. like you sent me the you told me about the picture you told me it was a creepy painting
1: and i, I found was a like creepy painting and, and i, I sent like, it to him wait and then you freaked out yeah. and i was like it's not that creepy dude but it is that creepy it's it is actually that creepy dear listeners and i i i have posted a picture of the painting on Twitter. So go in, check uh check me at uh at Team Giant Squid and you'll see a picture of said painting. I will post more just because now it's out in my garage just because the cat is not like the cat doesn't like the painting. <laughs> the cat first of all the cat the cat likes everything. The cat likes there is nothing in this house that cat has a problem with. And you, you, the cat will eat anything as well. If you let, if you, you know, it ate my daughter's Crocs. Like it literally took out a pair of my daughter's Crocs. Um, and it's fine. And it does not like that painting. So the painting is out in the garage because no one in my house likes it. And uh, yeah, so what we're thinking is we're just going to. So it got us thinking like, first of all, Chris, like literally texting me back saying that's That's the haunted painting. And then it's sitting out of my garage. So we said, let's revisit haunted paintings. But as you know, just because we go the extra mile here at Mad Scientist, we're thinking, you know what? I don't want to keep this painting. I don't think Chris wants it. (laughs)
0: No, I
1: don't want the stupid painting. Even even if Chris did want it, Katie sure as shit doesn't.
0: No, no, Katie doesn't want the painting.
1: She's like, I'm done with you and your shit and your paintings, dude. No. So we here at the Mad Scientist will raffle that painting off to one of our Patreon members. We are going to give this cursed haunted painting up to you, dear listener, maybe to you, so you can hang it proudly in your den, in your kitchen, in your bathroom. You know, it's... I'm not gonna lie. It's not I think it's kind of cool, but it's definitely it's definitely creepy. It's definitely got a creepy ass vibe to it. So
0: <laughs> now now to be fair, mm-hmm. we have fair. we have increased the creep factor a little bit. Mm-hmm. Marie did a little bit of touch-ups to make it a little yes. bit more
1: creepy. I like to say as as one of our as one of our Twitter friends says, "I love crafting up Lovecraft, Lovecraftian up you a did. little bit
0: to it, yeah. But it is it is scary, and you'll have a. Uh, we're gonna get. We're gonna send over a. Uh, you know, Marie will sign it. I will. And, uh, yeah. I'll send over. Yes. You know, proof of this connection to my spooky uncle's painting, and uh, yes. and it's
1: gonna be great. And you will love it and cherish it. You as will. Well you, <laughs> you will love it and cherish it. All right. Until it causes you madness. Absolutely. As you stare into Absolutely. the void,
0: like the king in yellow. All right. Ah. Now
1: ah. Ah. There, okay. there are actually,
0: Sorry. so haunted paintings is a type of haunted object. And we've kind of talked about haunted objects on the show before. And specifically, I think we've mentioned my distaste for the television show haunted collector. <laughs> right. So that show have, it's basically, we,
1: that, if, sh- even if we did, we have to do it again, just okay. because your distaste needs to be recognized again.
0: All right. So the show is about, uh, a a self-proclaimed demonologist, John Zaffis. It's on, uh, of course, it is on the sci-fi cable television network. Of course Um,
1: it is. I love that.
0: Sci-fi has like, it's like occasionally it'll hit like, you know, hit one out of the park with a really cool show. And then sometimes it's like, oh my goodness. it's And then
1: other times it's Sharknado (laughs) 7.
0: Right. And haunted, you know, haunted uh, pawn shop wars and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So anyways, Mm -mm -mm. so this, uh, so, This show, basically, this guy goes to people's houses where they claim that they have a haunting. He then finds the most expensive thing in their house and tells them that it's haunted. (laughs) And he's like, the only way to fix your problem is for you to give me this antique grandfather clock.
1: Do you see this Tesla? This Tesla (laughs) is haunted. It's clearly haunted. No, it's like, he never
0: goes for anything. Like, he never, you know, he's never so obvious where he's like that's a haunted xbox (laughs) you know those that game's haunted too oh no Mm -hmm. your charging cable's got a banshee in it you know it's never that like specific or or obvious but it is very that would be us it's it's it really rubs me the wrong way it seems so silly and so uh, i don't know and, and the thing is too i don't really know that much about the production of the show i hope that he actually does not keep these things, or at least they repay these people for what they're worth. But it it seems like a very seems like a very niche kind of thing. Like you only deal with haunted objects. Yeah. It feels like eventually eventually you're gonna run out, right? I mean, I don't know.
1: Uh, I don't know. How long is the contract for, man? I don't know. If it's you're kind- up for a few seasons. You're finding some haunted stuff out there. I,
0: I don't know. It, and it kind of seems like two like I don't know. In my mind, I feel like ghosts would act like kind of like bedbugs. Whereas like once a ghost gets into your house, it's, it's going to spread.
1: It's just right? rooted into that. You you're going to take out the carpet. You have to throw out the mattress, man. You're going to have to fumigate. Well, yeah, I mean, you.
0: like there's, there are, you know, there are views of the ghost issue where it says mm-hmm. that it's, it's a spot. It's like a place in, in the earth. It's a place in space and time that is, or a place in space rather that is haunted. Not mm-hmm. an object, not whatever. And so it's like, you know, that is supposed to explain how you can, you know, build on top of a burial ground or something and then have spirits mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. attack mm-hmm. or something, right? Or you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Poltergeist, guys, yes, Right. But excellent. it's like if it's just an object, if if it's true that ghosts haunt objects, it an object is a really easy thing to test. You know what I mean? Like if if there was yeah. a if there was a haunted skull or something it would be super easy then to test that and we would have evidence of ghosts.
1: Well, yeah, but I mean, I think what I love about the idea of the haunted object, or especially the haunted painting, is there's, you know, it's it's a good trope, right? It's a good, it's easy to sort of work with. Like, if you go into the haunted mansion at Disney World or Disneyland, you're walking down, the first thing that you're going to see as you're entering the ride are the haunted pictures, right? And they change before your very eyes and you're like that's spooky. You know and it is. It's like, oh, I feel kind of off put by that. That's totally spooky or even in literature. And I don't think we, we I don't think we brought this up the last time we did this episode, but the picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde, right? Which is basically a haunted painting. It's a painting of, you know, a man that never grows old, never ages, never feels any of sort of the the, you know, the effects of time um, and has this decadent uh, lifestyle that is that is demoralizing and dehumanizing. And the picture, the painting that he had commissioned of him that he's hidden away in the attic or in, you know, in some far-reaching corner of his house is becoming, um, the, the self-portrait of him is becoming this decrepit corpse, you know? So it's aging and becoming almost this, this awful thing, but he's, but he remains young. So it's sort of like, I think that that is an interesting and kind of fun thing to, to, to visualize. Cause there's so many things you can do with a haunted painting. Really?
0: Right? Yeah. It's no, for sure. I mean, it's an interesting, first off, I actually never read that book and now you've ruined it for me. So
1: <laughs> I don't mean to be, I don't mean to, but that's sort of like a gimme you've come on the picture of Dorian Gray. No, oh, man. It's, it's on my.
0: It's it. it wait, I mean, it's on my Nook. I downloaded it a long time ago. I just have never gotten around oh. to reading it. I guess I won't now. Thanks a lot, Marie.
1: Spoiler but- alert! <laughs> it was written in the
0: 1800s. <laughs> no, it's like being upset. Sorry. It's being upset that someone ruined Moby Dick for you or something. It's like, well, if you didn't know that,
1: it's the giant whale. Yeah. Anyways, mm-hmm. the uh, so. Ishmael dies. Sorry. Go ahead. He lives. All right, go ahead. (laughs) So the thing with the haunted
0: painting, I think that is sort of especially interesting about this trope is that painting is, I don't know if listeners, if you've ever really tried to sit down and paint something kind of realistically, and especially, especially in the, especially in the kind of pre camera era. Right. Mm-hmm. Paintings were really kind of uh, they were expensive. They were, uh, you know, they were hard to. I mean, they're expensive now, too, but they were they were basically the only way that humans had to recreate the world around them. Right. Mm-hmm. And Oof. if you think and if you think about that, what's really fascinating about that concept to me, at least, is that we talked last episode about the color blue. Right. Or not last episode, two episodes ago now. We talked about the color blue. Well, you know, how do you how can you be sure that, you know, I know what a what color something is compared to you if there is no objective frame of reference, right? I mean, of course, like you can uh, you can look at a a tree or something or a thing of grass and say, well, that's green and this is the same color as this and whatever. But really, painting is kind of one of the few ways we have of seeing the world In the same way other people have. And actually, that's one of the interesting aspects of uh, Impressionism, right, is that they part of the part of the one of the arguments today is that the Impressionists or some of the Impressionists may have just had very bad eyesight. Mm -hmm. And so they actually saw the world as blurry, right? They, They did not actually see the world as it was meant to be seen. And I think a lot of us have that same experience of, you know, I didn't realize that my eyesight was bad, that I needed glasses until maybe the fifth grade. When I could no longer see from the front row of the classroom, Hmm. you know, but like, other than that, I had no, I had no idea, Mm -hmm. you know, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I actually had a friend, I have a very good friend, uh, you know, who did not realize that he was colorblind until I wore a like puke green t-shirt. It was a really (laughs) ugly shirt. I wore it one day on the school bus and he was like, why are you wearing a gross brown shirt? And I was like, it's not brown, it's green. And he, like, blew, it blew his mind. Yeah, you know? Aww. So anyways, but so the other aspect of paintings that I think is really interesting is it takes such a long time to create a truly great painting. And it's, you know, you you spend hours on it. The, the artist does spend hours on it, and... You know, it's easy to see how you would associate then them putting some part of their soul or their, uh, their being into this thing. Because really, you know, if a painting, let's say a painting takes 100 hours to complete, that is a not insignificant amount of time uh, of someone's life that they're putting into this.
1: Yes, but I would also argue that you could put 100 hours into a painting and it could suck. Right. Oh, like, I mean,
0: well, hundred percent. Yeah, like, like, well, and that's and that, Those are the ones that get haunted, right? I mean, <laughs> well, it wasn't naturally.
1: <laughs> have to be. Uh, it I, sucks. Like, <laughs> but I mean, like, what what constitutes a masterpiece? What constitutes something that is now like canonized like, when you take art history or whatever, or when it goes up to auction, it is, you know, it 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 garners millions and millions of dollars. Like, if you look at just I think kind of gold standard for that is like Vincent van Gogh. Right? Van Gogh's paintings sell for millions and millions of dollars. And I think that and of course the 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 great speaking of tropes, the greatest trope there is like during his lifetime he couldn't sell. He was he was broke, he was poor. Nobody sure. wanted to buy his paintings. But now he is revered as this master and I think there is this Especially within expressionism, you know and things that happened sort of pre world War one and up to that point, there's a safety in the image right it's beautiful imagery, it's still a little um disjointed like starry starry night is still very expressionist, or irises is very you know kind of you know like very thick painting and very um expressive for lack of a better word, but it's also a appealing image and it's a very safe it's a safe uh it's a safe thing to invest in and it's a safe thing to sort of like in a lot of ways when you start to move beyond that into again like art that became more famous in the 70s and or even the early 50s with pop art right you have this disjointed this disjointed mass production Things that weren't supposed to be, you know, that were this clear break with aesthetically pleasing imagery into something that was, you know, again a Campbell soup can. How is that? How is that worthy or in the same in the same genre as a Van Gogh? But in a lot of ways, now, if you look at again, if you go to a Christie's auction, it will command a it will command a huge price, and not that cost or price tag always dictates quality uh, quality. But if you look at sort of massive cultural movements and sort of these epochs of, of when style and taste and um, these big movements happen, they, they don't always make a lot of sense and they don't always, they don't always add up to things that you think should be artistically valuable. I mean, I remember I went to a museum with my grandmother, and in Pittsburgh, and it was a Warhol museum, and um, in Pittsburgh, where he's from, and we're looking at all the different Warhol paintings, and she just couldn't figure out like why this dude was famous, why this dude made money, why this. She's like, I could do this. I don't understand why borax or whatever the the boxes stacked on top of one another. Why is this art?
0: Well that's the funny thing right it's kind of i think actually that's a really interesting point that they actually the first time that i had heard it was on the Ricky Gervais podcast right where they they talk about how you know in some ways the most compelling form of modern art is advertising right mm-hmm.
1: it mm-hmm. is
0: it is kind of getting away with uh, get you know art is in some ways not necessarily about the the thing that you're making but it's about Are you able to sell it? Right. And that's kind of become the modern view of or not really the modern view of art necessarily, because I think that for most people, it is still kind of what uh, compels you, what is beautiful. Right. But I think in some ways, art has become very sort of, uh, you know, it's it's kind of almost a or at least modern art is sort of very cheeky. Right. It's very against kind of the grain. Now, the thing, though, that I find interesting with with some of these haunted paintings, at least, is that if mm-hmm. art is supposed to make you feel something, then one of, I would think, the most primal emotions, fear, mm-hmm. is, I mean, for me, if I see a painting or an, uh, something that makes me scared, that makes me have kind of a gut reaction, I don't necessarily know if that's a painting I want in my house But that is certainly a painting that I would, I would remember That is a painting that would stick with me. Right. Right. Like,
1: I I don't know if it will go with the divan, but. (laughs) Well, well, you
0: know what I mean, though? Like, you know, so we we actually have, we have a lot of, we actually in our house have a lot of art or a lot of prints and paintings and things. And some of the paintings that have, that are in our living room are, uh, are actually uh, wood engravings from Dante's Inferno. Mm -hmm. Right. These uh, beautifully drawn or these beautifully made images of, you know, uh, of of hell and then of paradise and of purgatory. And so not just the Inferno, but the whole divine comedy. But um, but primarily the ones that always were more kind of that always stuck out most to me were the ones from from uh, Inferno because they scared me so much as a kid that now, you know, uh, looking at them today, I can appreciate them for their value. And their in their artistic merit, but also that gut feeling that I had as a kid that's never really gone away. And mm-hmm. it's so compelling still to have those and to see them and say, you know, what was it about this that scared me so badly? Right? And yeah. I think it's so I, I you know it's interesting to me that we actually don't see more examples of uh of almost scary or frightening art. I mean, actually. Yeah. The one instance that I the one instance that I remember very, very vividly that terrified me as a kid and actually still terrified me to some extent when I was when I was older, even not that long ago in the uh, museum of oh, what is the museum called? Mm. Not not the museum of modern art, but uh, there's an art museum in Boston, a -hmm. museum of fine arts, the museum of fine (laughs) arts in Boston. It is right near northeastern where I went to grad school. Mm-hmm. It has this amazing campus. It's like this beautiful uh, giant, like all the trees are ginormous. The building is ginormous. All the columns are ginormous. And it has these two or a couple of really creepy, like baby doll heads, these <laughs> ginormous baby doll heads that are there. <laughs> but anyways, you go in and they actually have a, they have a, a hall that is dedicated to a uh, sort of like Renaissance religious uh, paintings. Mm. And those Mm -hmm. those paintings are so huge and like the the view of them is so overwhelming that it's, you know, looking at them online does not do them justice. It is the size. It is the scope of these paintings and just the overall aura of seeing, you know, Jesus on the cross or something that it's it is it is awful and beautiful all at once. Right. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. Terror and beauty come from the same place. According to Greek philosophy, right? Like if if you are terrified of something, it has moved you as much as beauty. Right? Sure. It's the same it's the same visceral emotion. It's just it's it's like two sides of the same coin. And I think that, that with really good art, you are or any any like painting or even movie or any Form of of expression like that, if it's it, you can recognize its beauty, but it's you can also recognize the, the terror within it. That brings you to like this point of awe, right? Like religion, I, religious iconography, like you know Christ on the cross. You can't say it. That's necessarily beautiful, right? That's not a beautiful image. It's a terrifying image, though. And it kind of puts you in the same mindset, I think, in a lot of ways.
0: Hmm. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. So, so what, so I think this episode, we wanted to focus on kind of two haunted paintings specifically, right? Oh, I had, I had a couple. Oh, you got a couple. Okay. So I actually, I actually want to talk about one of my favorites first, and then we'll let you just go Mm -hmm. nuts.
1: Mm -hmm. All right.
0: Okay. So my, one of my favorites is a series actually of paintings by, uh, by Giovanni Bragolin. And it is a, uh, it's a, specifically one painting that was mass produced during the 50s called the crying boy. <laughs> all right. Now, Fragglin what he basically is kind of famous for, which is really interesting, is uh, painting these portraits of crying orphans in Italy. Oh. Um oh. Yeah, so he he painted them uh he painted them interestingly uh you know, all around the same time and so the painting itself was this uh, what's the word it became mass produced and became very very popular um yes you know after uh, after the 50s specifically and this painting was so famous or became a part of a urban legend where supposedly the painting itself the image was haunted even though this painting was mass produced it was thought to somehow be the cause of a number of house fires Mm -hmm. and the 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 Mm -hmm. legend and actually this is a my goodness, the Ricky Gervais connections continue. Carl talks about this uh, on one of the Ricky Gervais episodes, you know, about this painting that's haunted and whatever. So interesting. But, anyways, Carl, if you're listening, please, please come on the show.
1: But Shout out. Anyways. Yes. Ricky Gervais.
0: Yeah. Hello. Steve Merchant. Hey. All of you guys, you're our heroes. Oh.
1: So, the. Is it wrong that I think Steve Merchant is kind of sexy? No. Him Steve Merchant's and, and humane. Helen- Him and Jermaine from uh, Flight of the Conquers, I think they're sexy. Interesting. I know. Huh. I guess I have a type. We can talk about that on a later episode. Oh, my goodness. All right. All right. All right. All right. right. right.
0: We're getting off the rails. So this painting is considered haunted. And like I said, the cause or supposedly leads to house fires or whatever. And the myth became so popular that, you know, there were rumors that, you know, firefighters wouldn't even have them in their homes because they knew Mm. You know, we we go to a burning house. The crying boy is there. And specifically, what was interesting about it was that this painting um, supposedly would not burn. Even if the rest of the house burned around it, this painting would not burn at all. Now, what what is supposed about these paintings is that because they were mass produced in the 50s, they were made with flame retardant chemicals. So and. Uh, What would occur then during a house fire is that the rope or whatever was holding the twine that was holding the painting up would be the first thing to burn on the painting. The twine would then snap and it would fall to the ground, protecting the painting uh, from the heat of the fire and therefore being engulfed in the flames. There's no, you know, and of course, there's no evidence that this painting has anything to do with house fires or any of that kind of stuff, but it is an interesting legend.
1: I love it because, you know, just because of flame retardation, right? That you can't, like, it won't burn. It naturally has become supernatural.
0: Well, yeah, and I mean, the thing, so, and that that conclusion too, that idea of them them being, uh, you know, made with these flame retardant chemicals and stuff, that actually was proven. Um, It was tested Mm by a uh, BBC Radio 4 program. (laughs) So, anyways. And if you
1: see this image, like, this image is such schlock.
0: It's so like, sappy and terrible, and you know, I mean, it's kind of the, uh, oh. it's kind of the, uh, you <laughs> know, it's even got the little awful. tears on the little boy's face. It's, it's
1: sad because he's crying. I mean, he's looking right at you, and he's like, "Won't you?" It's like, it's like you might as well have Sarah McLaughlin and a uh, piano playing, and they're like, "This is this is Giovanni," and then you see this <laughs> small crying child. <laughs> Giovanni only wanted to come to America. You know, but it's this like, was—won't was like, you really, help? This was like a real kid in like a 1930s orphanage in Italy. Can't you
0: like, help? Oh my God! All right, I know. cold, cold, cold-hearted over oh, here.
1: Come on. You man. know, I it's mean, like, it's awful. It's, it's actually I well, mean, it's actually, like,
0: I think, I think though that is actually something that is interesting about media, about art, about our—we in some ways the. uh access to such horrible things on the internet has in some ways, I think actually desensitized us and yep. also to also to almost, uh, and not, not even desensitized. It's kind of a silly cause it, this is a slippery slope towards like, you know, video games cause violence and whatever. <laughs> but like, I do, I do think though that our visceral, like we will never have another moment like after Vietnam, when those first, photographs of
1: the war were coming in do you know I what i hope, mean i hope we never do of course right? of
0: course we hope we never do but i i mean that though in the sense that
1: we'll we will will never you know, have that raw emotional like being seeing firsthand the horrors in the world right because way.
0: because we our generation know, has grown strange. up strange
1: Strange times, my friend. Strange I mean,
0: times. That's true, but anyways, I I just yes. find it very interesting that you know uh, until I, I mean I don't know maybe when a new you know video I guess would be the same kind of thing or mm-hmm. you know I don't know um, I don't know simulation like I don't really know where the next obviously we can't predict where the next kind of art or next media for journalism will go, but um, it's certainly next
1: visceral horror. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, You know, but anyways, um, Marie, what are your haunted paintings?
1: My haunted paintings. Okay. So last time we did, we did sort of your standard. Like if you go in and you do your research on haunted paintings, you're always going to have like one or two come up. One, uh, hands resist him. Yep. Right. Which is famous, which is relatively famous. That's the famous eBay painting. It was offered on eBay. Somebody bought it. It was haunted. And that one Uh, we
0: did that one we did in some detail. Yes. On our last episode on this.
1: Yeah. So I'm gonna skip that just because I think it's I think it's interesting. I think it's actually a very it's actually a a good painting. It's very uncanny. It is very unsettling. It's
0: one of those ones um, that gives you the gut check.
1: Gut check. Um The Anguish Man by Unknown. I think again, like this is a picture of just a a a a man screaming. It's got a nice backstory to it. Still, eh, I'm not, I'm not gonna do it. I, I do think it's <laughs> a little heavy-handed. There's Crying Boy. Um so the one that I wanted to look at is actually uh I found it. It's an actual painting that is not necessarily haunted as it is cursed. And it hangs at the Royal Holloway College, the museum at the at the uh University of London. And it's by Edwin Lanster. And it's called Man Proposes, God Disposes. And it was painted in 1864. So this painting hangs in a, in a university. And it is a painting of the, the well-known and fabled Franklin, um, Franklin uh, ship, the Terror and the Ebrus, when they went to go discover the Northwest Passage. It is a take on that, that was painted at the time, but the ships were still missing. Right? So the subject matter, basically, if you can, I will describe it. I'm not going to do due diligence. It's sort of a long, it's a, it's not, um, it's a weird size for a painting in that it's a long, skinny, uh, long, skinny triangle. Hello, long, skinny rectangle. And it shows the Arctic right so you've got sort of the the blue gray skies the icebergs and then there's this wreckage of a mast and uh two polar bears basically ripping apart what looks like what is left of this arctic exploration and one is ripping apart this piece of cloth that is sort of is dirty blood red um and that's on the left side and then on the right side you have a polar bear poised over what I am looking at and interpreting as a human rib cage eating a rib bone, right? And it's like, so this is hanging up in a college, which is awesome. Um, But it's this, and it's, the title of it is really very interesting as well. Man Proposes, God Disposes, which is basically again, sort of the folly or the hubris of the idea of going in and, you know, taking a ship into the Arctic to discover a passageway. And basically, you know, this, this idea that you will, you will discover this, you, will, you can presuppose your will onto nature and nothing will happen. And that's the, that's man proposing, and God will dispose of you. In that you will you will eventually just be you will eventually die, hmm. right? Or you will you will be laid to waste by your folly uh-huh. because you're not coming out of this in one piece, which was the case with with this Arctic exploration. So this this um, this picture hangs in this college, and um, every year when they have at this at the university when they have finals. They drape a union flag over it, right they drape the union jack over it, um, because there is this mythology around this painting that uh, a student sitting there taking taking the test got so um, got so was under such stress and fixated on the Fixated on the uh on the polar bears and on the subject matter so much that he put a pencil through his own eye
0: oh! in
1: the middle of the exam right, which is awesome that's one way to get yeah. out of a test right, and there's other like that's one there, that's one urban legend, the other is like you know another one stood up in the middle of the test and committed suicide and just said the polar bears, the polar bears, but I think that that's like. I mean, I will say that that, like, that painting was done, was completed um, about two years after they went missing. And the artist himself, who was, uh, again, the last name uh, Lance Lancier, really normally committed himself to, like, much more placid subject matter, like dogs, you know, like if you think of a, a typical English painting that would hang in your manor house, it would be of your dog, you know, and its puppies or whatever. That's hmm. what this guy was known for. But all of a sudden, he whipped out with with this, and um, yeah, and it's like, and Franklin's widow, at the time, who was um, who who again, her husband has now vanished in the Arctic. He's gone. She even saw the painting and cause again, this guy, the artist himself is relatively well known. So she heard that the subject matter was going to be, you know, but the subject was going to be, you know, uh, exhibiting. Right. And she went and she saw it and she was like, you know, you can only imagine that basically you're, you're looking at a painting of your loved one who you, you, you know, who you saw off on a boat expecting to see back in another year or another eight months being eaten by polar bears. Mm -hmm. You can only imagine like basically what her reaction to it was, which was, you know, dude, that's kind of fucked up. That's some fucked up shit. Uh, And you should stick with dogs. I think basically is what she she came up with. (laughs) Um, But also to the subtext in the painting, which I think is even more insidious. So with any, you know, again, any good art, you look at it and what is kind of not evident but is part of the story is that this these group of sailors um, probably would have turned to cannibalism right so the polar bears are getting there and they're not they are not actually the agents of the sailors demise right they they froze to death or they died of the elements or they killed one another and started to eat one another and they're just sort of scavengers um cleaning up man's folly.
0: Right, man's hubris.
1: Man's hubris, right? Yeah. But they weren't the actual cause of it, which is even like more like Ugh. What's really right?
0: what's really interesting with that is mm-hmm. so th- the the northwest passage for listeners that don't know was sort of a almost a mythical uh almost mm-hmm. a mythical route, right? So we thought so before the Panama Canal was built, there was really no way around Uh, north america right Mm -hmm. so you basically either had to go down around the uh cape of uh you know you either had to go all the way down um below uh the farthest reaches of south america or around uh, the horn of africa or um i mean that was it that was all you could do or you could travel by wagon right Mm -hmm. overland uh, into country Mm -hmm. that at that point you know not was still not really safe and known and whatever. No, no. Uh, you know, safe, safe, I should say for, uh, colonial settlers. Now the Northwest passage was this proposed route that could be traveled between basically New York Harbor and, uh, and pretty much the other side of America, right? Mm -hmm. The idea, the idea was that you could travel through this passage, this, this, this small, uh, you know basically all of the great lakes all of these uh, rivers and tributaries and whatever would connect or did connect all together to connect the atlantic and the pacific something that today we know is not the case right there is no uh, direct route through the through the rivers and things up north right you you have to go through the panama canal or again still to this day travel the way that they used to right so a lot of a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of investment and a lot of lives, frankly, were were spent trying to mm-hmm. find if this thing was true or not. And the reason was that basically if this was true, if you could find a route that would do this, not only would you be a, a famous explorer, you would also become comically wealthy
1: because oh God, yes. you
0: would control trade. Uh, you would have a route to traverse that was faster then you know the fastest route available at the time now so that that part of it is fascinating what i think i mean that story is so great i right? love
1: that well i love too that it's that it's so victorian and so explorer like they are going to discover this mythic passageway in their in these ships and their their finery and the sun will never set on the british empire and it's civilization they're civilized men right, right and, and they're, they. they are bringing civilization and into this uncharted dirty pagan land and you know and they're going to conquer it there's no doubt during the time but like the the victorian mentality was there is nothing, there's nothing in nature that we cannot conquer.
0: Well, yeah, manifest destiny, right? I mean, we exactly. thought, we thought that we could, you know, uh, we could come and do what we wanted, right, mm-hmm. basically, and mm-hmm. then we turned into polar bear poop.
1: By our, by our will, and it's like, this, like, I think this image is, is, is very arresting because it basically, it's, it's like, a, uh, pretty clear, no.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No.
1: Yeah, no, folly, not going You're falling. And the interesting thing, too, that I did not know until further reading on this, that this hung in a woman's college. So this wasn't even this huge painting of these two polar bears um, scavenging and decimating amongst the ice caps hung in Victorian times for female education. That's so interesting. That to me, and it's like, again, if... Uh, Normally, if you were going to put art in front of women in Victorian times, it would be sweet. It would be domicile. Again, it would be much more crying children. Right. It would be much more like of of um mother and hearth and, and nature and something. Yeah, pastoral. yeah. Very, yeah. Very kind um,
0: of very not uh This. No. No. Right? This is a but
1: This is this is much more of a this is much more of a, almost a call to like this is a, um, this kind of is a hard reset on thinking and how your, and how your thought process is. Yeah. So what I love about it though, is to this day, they cover it, right? They cover it with the, with the union Jack flag, they cover it with the flag. <laughs> Cause again, which is wonderfully British. Cause it's like, again, we will triumph over the unknown. We will triumph over that, which makes us lose control. The British, they've got this shit down. And let's all take our tests, and nobody put out their pencils with any, you know, or put out their eyes with any pencils. Everything's fine.
0: Right, right, right. <laughs> that's 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 that is a good, that is a really good one. So the-
1: that's my favorite. Oh, and by the way, on the uh the expedition, the Franklin expedition, if you are not already, you should tune in. AMC The Terror. Uh, they have an ongoing um fictional series on this based on the Dan Simons novel, which is so good! It's really, really, the book was excellent, and the TV series is oh, no. mm-hmm. <laughs> scary as hell. So check it out.
0: Uh, that sounds like something I'll definitely have to check out. Mm-hmm. So one of, so actually, one of my favorites is not actually technically, uh, not actually thought to be haunted, mm-hmm. but I love it because it has such a interesting. Um, What's the word? It has such an interesting sort of. It has such an interesting Ooh, sort rat. of. Yeah, like it, it just it. First off, these paintings are so weird and they're they were made in a weird way and they're out there. We were made by a weird guy. And then they have mm. this connotation today with a with one of our most, uh, in my mind, fascinating kind of true crime characters uh you know at least fictional characters which is uh which is Dr Hannibal Lecter but mm-hmm. specifically with uh with uh Dollarhide with the Red Dragon mm-hmm. right Francis mm-hmm. Dollarhide uh, which is from the book Red Dragon by Thomas Harris one of the best uh one of in my opinions one of the best sort of detective uh, horror suspense novels of all time and that painting of course is William Blake's um William Blake's "The Great Red Dragon" series, and specifically uh, the one that's mentioned in the book that they actually miss show in the uh, what's it? Uh, it's it's the the Great Red Dragon and the woman Hollywood clothed, clothed in yeah. sun,
1: sun yeah, and the woman clothed in sun yeah.
0: But in the book, they mention the Great Red Dragon and the woman clothed with the sun. Um, but in the movie, they show in the woman clothed in sun. Now. This comes from a so these paintings were done by William Blake and William Blake is known for um, William Blake is known for enlightenment uh, philosophy his sort Mm -hmm. of idea of these things. But his paintings are terrifying and amazing, and they come with these scary sort of uh, they come with these scary sort of, you know, quotes and things and poems with them and stuff. Right. And it's very sort of like. I don't know. It reminds me very much of the what's the word? It reminds me very much of like the Smashing Pumpkins art style yes. of their like, you know, and that was all the stuff that I like really liked about the Smashing Pumpkins, really It was all their weird art style and everything. But so um, the Great Red Dragon series is from uh, a series of books that or a series of paintings that he did basically around religious themes. And this is from uh, this is specifically about a book of Revelation, the passage that goes, quote, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and had cast them mm. to the earth.
1: Mm, mm,
0: mm. So these paintings are huge, right? They're very, very mm-hmm. large. Or they're not. I mean, huge. They're so the great red dragon, the one clothed in the sun. They're huge in the sense of their their detail and their sort of it's hard to explain unless you see these paintings, but they are kind of, you expect them in seeing them in your mind, at least in my mind, to be huge, that you expect them to be ginormous, right?
1: Yes. Ex- Scale wise, even on the canvas, are they, they're on canvas, right? Are they yeah. on paper?
0: They're on uh, their watercolors.
1: <laughs> yeah. So they are. On paper, yeah.
0: Yeah. They're. Uh, so the great red dragon is uh, 44 centimeters tall by 35 centimeters wide.
1: So not that big. Not that big. but Not big at we, all. And the subject matter. Describe the subject matter. Because I think that that's. Like if you haven't seen it. And you, ha- are, and you are not familiar with any of the. Uh, any of the popular culture. That would have led, led you to have seen it. So it
0: is a painting. So the one that's most famous. For its connotation with. Uh, with Red Dragon. The book is a woman. With a uh, fiery kind of blonde, almost like sunlight hair, who is uh, lying prone on the ground and staring up in, in awe or terror at the devil. And the devil is shown as this muscular, terrifying demon beast uh, with huge muscular legs and a muscular back and a huge serpentine tail. And, uh, you know, these giant bat-like wings and the colors are muted and scary and it just really like it you know and there's a series of these so the first one is that the next one is uh, a devil with uh, seven heads staring down at this woman with his coiled tail and she is again uh, clearly in this image an angel uh, again with this kind of sunshine hair and these big wings and she's again looking up at the devil in some way and then you have the ones where it's, you know, uh, again, sort of the devil looking at demons and the devil with a monster from the ocean deep. And these pictures are just they are. They're like what you expect to see on a on an acid trip. Right yes. They're And like, and like not, not that good, we know,
1: because our mom listens to the show.
0: No, like like you
1: I has, have read.
0: They're, right there. they <laughs> yes. are these they are these terrifying arresting images that are. Immediately, you know, immediately you see them and you think, oh, my goodness. And part of their cultural significance here is in the book or in the in the story or the movie, especially you have, uh, you know, Dollar Hyde takes off his robe. Mm-hmm. Right. And he has the 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 a tattoo, a giant tattoo of the devil on his back. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's that is what he thinks he is becoming is this devil, this demon being of some sort you know, who has to uh, again, has to kind of take the essence of these people away so that he could become stronger. It just I don't know that that painting these the series of paintings that Blake did are so, I think, odd and almost show kind of a fervent religious uh, feeling. And but they look, they look all of his work looks so magical. They look like what you expect alchemical drawings or a book of witchcraft or something to look like. Yeah. To me, that whole, all their, you know, their motifs and their, the poetry even with them, because they're, they're written, there's paintings, and then there's poetry on the page as well. You know, it's, it's just, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, they're fascinating to me. And if there were, if there was going to be any series of paintings that would be haunted, it would be this series of paintings.
1: So interestingly enough, it reminds me of a conversation that we had with Sam frederickson from not alone not alone because he was saying um we were talking about wh- who what out of this out of the bible what's the most badass entity right what's the most badass beast that you come up against because he's all leviathan and i was like well i don't know like legion and he's like legion legion's punk ass legion's not blah. They, they fell in the water and you know, he's like leviathan! and i'm but now I got to tell you like I forgot. I forgot about the whole part cuz it is from it is from somewhere in the scriptures that that's described. That's pretty I think Sam's got a new contender. I don't I mean, yeah, yeah, I would say so, you know. I just I think so.
0: Well, there we go then, Marie. There we
1: go. Definitive <laughs> word. I think so. Well, and I will also say like watercolors too. It's like, that's a really hard medium to, it's not like oil, but you can just sort of like let it dry and then maybe scrape it off or put some more on. If you mess up with watercolors, you basically are screwed, right? Because there's no painting over it. It's seeped into, there's, you know, it's seeped into the the, the paper itself. It's porous and it's, you can, you, you have to be kind of confident and write off from the get-go, which is the thing that I think is even more amazing about Blake's art.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, I don't know, the whole, for me, they have a very again, the scary connotation to this movie that scared Mm -hmm. me as a kid, and then also this, uh, just the way they look and everything, it's, I think they're beautiful and scary again, all at the same time, like you were saying.
1: What are you doing watching this? Were you up, like, late? Like, you were, like, hbo you know, you were oh supposed to be goodness. watching that.
0: I was not supposed, I was my, mm-hmm. so my mom worked late nights mm-hmm.
1: oh, and okay. so she
0: could be with me during the day. And so I would stay up at nighttime just like my dad would fall asleep and be out like a light. And then I would be in my room playing video games until 3am when my mom came home, you know, and then, or, <laughs> you know, like I or mean,
1: watching this being like, I cannot blink ever again. Right.
0: Right. Or watching scary things that were too adult for me. Um, Anyway, so Marie, did you did you have another haunted painting?
1: No, I think that that I mean, like, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm putting, I'm double down on the polar bears, on the polar bears scavenging for human remains in the uh, in the Arctic because I think that that one is pretty badass.
0: That is also, you know what? The other thing too, I think that that is also a sort of like it is a gut check again to Victorian sensibilities, but also it is mm-hmm. a kind of like. That was probably the only time that they ever saw an animal eat a human. That's the closest that they would get besides right? being there.
1: Right? I mean, and to your point, like, uh, you know, like, again, the the pictures that would come out of Vietnam of actual in situ happenings, the Victorians, like, again, this, the Arctic expedition, expedition, they would sail off, they wouldn't be seen for months, years, Right? And they would probably come home, but there was no sort of depiction of what was happening. So these people go, they vanish, there's no word back from them really. And this is sort of like this is almost like a photograph of yeah. what of what happened. And if you are the widow of the the man who was essentially in charge of of all of these all these men, all these boys, they were really pretty young, all of their lives you know, and this, this greater expectation of conquering nature, being faced with, you know, kind of what the reality would look like. I would assume that that would be really kind of like awful, you know, and, and, and sorrow and terrifying. And also like, but the painter who would, who came up with it, I want to read more about him. Cause like I said before, it was like pretty benign work, like pictures of dogs Pretty, you know, civil subject matter, and then, boom, whipped out with this. Yeah, it's interesting. So check it out. Check well, it out.
0: You know what, dear listeners, I think the moral of this episode, in the eternal words of Homer Simpson, you know, the lesson here, never try.
1: Never, tr- yeah, never try. Yeah, don't, you know, there's just not, you know, don't, don't be, no, don't, just don't do it. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. <gasps> um, But here's what you should do with all that The only caveat is you should go on Patreon. You should throw in a buck because you know what—that buck might just win you a truly haunted painting, which is sitting in my garage, slowly gathering power and calling to its inky dark minions out there. Which I maybe it's raccoons. I don't know. But we're going to be <laughs> we're going to be giving that up, people. Yes,
0: so, and of course, and of course, if you would just like to enter the raffle. There are, yes. of course, no hard feelings. If you just want to enter one month yes. and then, uh, you know, turn it off or whatever, you give a dollar one time, we'd completely understand and we thank you for your support. Um, and yeah, Absolutely. I'm excited. I think what we'll probably do is too. in a month, in a month from when this episode releases, we mm-hmm. will have the raffle.
1: Yes. I will take pictures of it and just, you know, so you guys know what you're getting yourselves into. My cat, Sophie, will thank you so she can quit hissing at it. <laughs>
0: So scary. All right, scary dear listeners. Stuff. Thank you again so much for listening. This has been the Mad Scientist Podcast, and we'll be back in another week with our next episode. I think Marie, we're getting into something sciencey next week.
1: Science! What I'm is that? Super what are excited? we doing? What is it? I, well I, I don't know yet. Tell we're the people gonna, we're gonna do Tell it. Tell people what they want to know. Oh, it, it's gonna be oh, it's gonna be science and goodness. It's gonna be science and goodness. All right. <laughs> thank you, dear listeners.
0: Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist Podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co host,
1: Marie Mayhew.
0: If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at madscientistpod or at team giant squid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm -hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. We
1: love doing
0: that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen, our... Web design is done by Desdemona Howard. Woohoo! And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal.
1: Thanks again for listening. <laughs> Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. On a hot summer night in 1988, Jane Baroski was stabbed 27 times by an unknown man. She was seven months pregnant.
0: My name is Jane Baroski. I survived
1: and I remember everything jane is the lone survivor of a serial killer i'm your host jennifer amell and this is dark valley join us in our search for america's unknown serial killer subscribe to dark valley out now